Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study we're doing uh, in the book of Luke, we've actually been working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. We've done Matthew. We've done Mark. We've already done John. And now we came back and started the book of Luke because I want to do Luke and Acts together because he wrote both books. And um, we saw last week that Luke is writing this particular book to someone named Theophilus. And uh, I believe he was a, an actual person, a Gentile, and that Luke um, was a historian who carefully researched uh, the events of Jesus, perhaps more than, than the other guys. His detail is, is amazing, and that um, he writes this book, and then he writes the book of Acts also to Theophilus. And uh, uh, that Theophilus, we, we looked at that some people believe it's written to everybody, which indeed it is, because that means lovers of God or the lover of God. And so ultimately, this book was written to us just like the other books were, uh, and the entire book was. All of this is God's love letter to you, uh, amazingly crafted by various authors over a long period of time, but all under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so that uh, you could know God's love for you and God's plan for you from the very beginning, and how he created things, and, and how the enemy got in and messed it up, and how God stuck a plan in place from then, so that you could have a relationship with him forever. See, that's what's in the book. Um, it's not a book of rules and regulations where people, well, it's just a book where, you know, we're not supposed to have any fun. It's a, it's a book of, of redemptive history, of God's movement towards you that you might have life with him forever. And he, he went out of his way to um, make this so we can have it so, and to keep it around for us. We're blessed to live in a place where we have completely free access to it. And that most of us have not just one of these, but many of these. And um, that it's, it's, it's abundance at some level. We might take it for granted and not jump into it the way that we should. But there are places, many places in the world where they don't have copies. And uh, they have fragments. They have pieces. They, they, they have a, a page or two that they pass around and share amongst communities and and they they just you know they just inhale it because it's what they got. So we're blessed to have it, and and uh, and then to know it the best that we can. Uh, and it's a constantly it's alive. You know the Bible's there's some there's a this quality to it as we read and, and are led by the Spirit that it speaks to us and it it shows us new things all the time. It's not new in, in the sense of you know something outside of what it, but new to us. We catch something different. Every time that we read it and and see, that's how we we're to undertake it as a as a joy, not as a duty, as a as an amazing blessing that, that God's given us this love letter. And he wants you to know it so that you can know him forever. And so we uh, have been working through the Gospels, like I said, and we're we're in uh, Luke now and we introduced Luke. We did chapter one last week and we got things underway. Uh, Luke chapter two uh, I think you're going to feel like Christmas as soon as I start reading. I know I did. But I was like, oh, man. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking about Linus on Charlie Brown. You guys know I have a thing for Charlie Brown if you've been here for a while. And uh, I always like that cartoon. I make it happen. So we had to watch it in church. Um, uh, and and I, I always think of his voice when when we get into passages of Scripture. Uh, and, and so uh, particularly in Luke 2, because Linus reads out of Luke 2. So you'll, you'll feel Christmassy, and uh, I want to read it to you. And then we'll talk about the events and, uh, 
we'll move on from there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, or all the verses are in your notes. You can, you can watch them there or read them there if you have good eyesight, uh, because it's a small font to make everything fit. But uh, let's read together, starting in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taking, taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, what do angels always say when they show up? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
There was also a prophet as Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, pardon me, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Pardon me for a second. <coughs> Thank you. Okay, neat stuff. Um, did it make you feel a little like Christmas? Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Christmas for a minute. And, and, and I wouldn't do this during the season, but, but there's some things I should point out about Christmas. First, when actually was the birth of Jesus is a pretty good question. And um, let's, let me just say this. It was not December 25th, 0000, or December 25th, 0001. So I need to tell you why I believe that. First off, uh, it's very unlikely that it was the winter months when his birth took place because the shepherds were out in the field at night, which is not something they did in the dead of winter. And, uh, and so it most likely wasn't December. And uh, there's been a lot of research about the how they came to that date, the early church, and it was because there was some sort of pagan festival that happened in the month of December, and they were just trying to trumpet and replace it with something better, and so that seemed to be a good thing to celebrate at that point in time. Does that mean that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas? No, I don't think so. I like Christmas. Don't take Christmas away. <laughs> Christmas is good. It helps everybody to get focused on what matters, I think, and you know, a present or two isn't a bad thing either, but, uh, but, but it most likely wasn't December 25th, as far as the birth of Christ. The second thing was, as, as much as, as we would like to have think that the, the monk who devised the calendar got his dates right, um, scripturally he missed it because he didn't get the zero point where he should have in the calendar split. And, and, and you, it gets, it gets compounded by the fact that there wasn't actually a zero. It was one BC and then one AD which would miss a year, but he even missed that. And we'll tell you, I'll tell you why we know that to be true. There's a historian, a Jewish historian that's amazingly ac accurate, named Josephus, 
who recorded all sorts of stuff, and he recorded the death of Herod as happening between and right after a lunar eclipse and before a Passover. But that's when Herod died. There was a lunar eclipse. They knew, they knew what had happened to them. And there was a Passover. Well, astronomers can actually go back, and because they know how things spin around, and they do that on the right cycles, they can go back and, and tell you when every lunar eclipse that ever happened has happened. They just can do that. They can tell you when they're coming, and they can tell you when they happened. And so they trace that back, and, and the only one that fits in that parameter, there was three around that time, the only one that fits in that parameter actually happened on March 13th, according to the way this calendar would be, for B.C. So, so, so that would have been the lunar eclipse that happened right before Passover, and, and so Herod died in 4 B.C. Now, Herod was alive when Jesus was born. And he was probably alive for at least two years because, remember, he said to, to go and have all the children executed two years and younger. So most likely, Jesus was born around 6 B.C., give or take a year. What does that mean to us? Really, really nothing. They're not going to adjust the calendar now. But let me say this to you. Uh, by that reckoning, it's really not 2010. It's like 2016, 2017. Do you feel a little older now? It also blows apart the whole worry about 2012, because that already took place. <laughs> Four years ago. So, uh, the dates are off. And, and that's, I'm fairly confident in what I just told you as being the truth. It doesn't make a difference, but, but, uh, but just if you ever ask, if you're reading the scripture, for, cause for a long time it was a sticking point, because scripturally it looks like, they messed up. We just had to go and explain where it happened, where the dates were. They all fit into place now. And the monk who devised the calendar just, just missed it by, by six years. He did pretty good, considering he was going back from where he was and trying to figure out the date. Six years pretty close, really. Because I think it was, you know, several hundred years before that even happened. So, anyway. So, uh, so it's really 2016, 2017. Do you feel any older? That's kind of what I was thinking. Okay, so, so that, the first couple of verses then are just trying to get this, this whole birth thing is happening. Now, um, in, in Luke 2, 3, and 5, the census is talked about. The census was taken back then for the purpose of taxation. And the way they did it was everyone had to return to their hometowns in order to register for the census. Then they were counted so they could be taxed appropriately and that the towns could be taxed appropriately. And, and that was the, the purpose of the census. So Joseph and Mary headed to Bethlehem. Um, Joseph had to go. Uh, Mary, I'm sure that they just wanted to be together because she was so close to what was happening. Uh, because of her condition and because of the events that surrounded it, I'm sure that uh, it may have impacted some of her other uh, relationships because people wouldn't have believed where she was going when Joseph handled this thing in, in the right way as the Lord instructed him and he, and he took her with him so that she would be with him. When the baby came. Um, so off they go to Bethlehem. Uh, so, and that's Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem. So he's going back there. But note that all of Joseph's family would be heading home at this point. Like all the other families in Bethlehem, everybody has to go home for this process. So while they're there in verses 6 and 7, uh, Jesus is born. And uh, he was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Let's talk about that too. Because I love that story. I wouldn't mess it up at Christmas. But the, the translation most likely is that there was no room for Joseph in the family house of Joseph. They got home 
And the house was just filled with the whole family, and so there wasn't room inside, so they, they put him in the back. Um, you know, but I like the story of the innkeeper. It's a better Christmas story. And, and that's how we've all heard it. But if you read it, what it looks like most likely, and, and traditionally what we look at is it, it was probably more of a cave in the back than it was, but they would keep the animals back in there, so they hit that right. And he was put in a manger, which is sort of a trough, uh, the way they, they uh, fed everything. But the bigger thing to me is how amazing this entrance was for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You think about all the ways that God could have entered the scene. Uh, he could have come in riding in on the clouds so that everybody could see. He could have come in so many different ways. And yet he chose to come into the world the same way that you and I came into the world. Fascinating stuff. And, and all of it, I think, so, so we could always relate to him and he could relate to us. To experience what we experienced, even the way that he entered into the world. And not in a palace, in a, in with the, and amongst the livestock. In a very simple way. And so Jesus enters the world. Huge event. The, the, the incarnation, the, the breaking in of, of God in among us. The, the, the establishment of the kingdom of God. Uh, in taking place, the inauguration of the kingdom, which will be fulfilled when he returns. All this happens at this simple birth recorded for us in a few verses there in the book of Luke. Now, uh, in verses 8 to 20, there's the whole encounter with the shepherds and uh, the angels appear to them and tell them this amazing good news. And uh, I love it when angels appear because every time you see angels appear, they always say the same thing. Don't be afraid. Because it obviously catches you off guard when an angel shows up. Um, and, and so, uh, at least when one shows up and makes himself known. Uh, so, so, the shepherds are told by the angels, and a, and a bunch of angels show up, and a heavenly choir sings, this is the best deal, God has entered the scene, he's here, the, your Savior has come, this is good news. And you need to rejoice. At the good news. And they, they go and check it out for themselves and they find Jesus just like they say, they said he would, they would. And they go and start telling everybody about Jesus. Evangelism begins. Because they've seen the Messiah. And they begin to tell the world. Uh, verse 21, Joseph and Mary, uh, named their baby Jesus as the angel had come and told them in chapter one. And they have him circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus goes through everything uh, that, that needed to happen to fulfill the law. And, and so he's circumcised on the eighth day. Then in verses 22, 24, he's presented at the table. This would have happened about uh, 32, 33 days after the circumcision. Forty days was the time of purification um, that needed to take place after childbirth. And so they go and they... They dedicate Jesus at the temple. This was the uh, law for firstborn males. Sometimes people ask me um, why we do children the way we do. We dedicate our babies and we baptize them when they get a little older, when they sort of understand what's happening. Um, Not picking on other traditions. Other people do it differently. That's fine. I'm not picking on it. However it works. You've heard me say that. It's just important. But the reason we do it this way Um, is for this reason, Jesus was dedicated as a baby and baptized as an adult. So, so it's a good model. I think it counts. But, but, uh, not, not, not picking on any, any tradition on some people, 
baptize their babies, fine. I, I just This is what we see. Jesus being taken to the ta- temple and dedicated to the Lord there in the process. Now, when they go... This had to be a pretty amazing experience. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that the entire nine months was a pretty amazing experience for Joseph and Mary. From, from the Immaculate Conception on, had to be a pretty fascinating ride. Uh, and, and all that went in hand with that. And trying to hold on to that. You know, and and don't, don't think that they didn't question themselves from time to time. Was that really God? You know, what's happening? What, is this all really true? Um, and so they go to the temple with Jesus, and their first encounter is with uh, Simeon, a righteous and devout man filled with the Holy Spirit, who uh, has been told, uh, or, or it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would uh, not die until he actually saw that Messiah had come, the consolation of Israel. That's what he was waiting for, the entrance of Jesus Messiah into the world. And... Uh, led by the Spirit, he goes to the temple on the day that Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus. And sure enough, he sees him and he grabs him and he says, This is the one. Lord, you've done it. This is, this is him. He's, he's here. And um, he, he says uh, that, that this one will be salvation not only for the Jews but for the Gentiles as well. And Joseph and Mary are amazed. And he goes on and tells Mary that this, you know, his coming though is going to rock the boat. Because there'll be a lot that won't like it. And we've, we've seen that through all the Gospels. How the religious leaders didn't care for Jesus' ministry at all. And, and that Mary was a witness to the events of the crucifixion are certainly the fulfillment of her soul being pierced. As we imagine, I can't even imagine what that would be like for a parent to endure. And yet prophesied there in the temple. And then that's followed up with a visit by a prophetess named Anna uh, or Hannah. Um, same same sort of came, comes from the same word. And um, she has been at the temple day and night for a long time, praying and fasting. I hope she ate sometimes. Uh, <laughs> that was just a random thought that I had. But anyway, she's there and she basically backs up the whole thing. She comes up and says, the, 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 the child of redemption is finally here. And so imagine, you know, Joseph and Mary taking all this in, everything they've been taking in. It's all happening as they go to the temple. But they do everything that's required by the law, uh, including the sacrifice. The sacrifice they gave of two doves or two pigeons uh, would have been the sacrifice of, of poorer people, um, which we sort of know that, that they, they were that, at that point in time. Um, and then it says in verse 39 and 40, after they've done it all, they, they return home. Um, Luke doesn't record for us the trip to Egypt. So I, I guess it, he figures it was assumed or didn't need to be in his narrative. Um, but we know as an infant that he's off in Egypt for a little while as they're trying to keep him safe from this edict of Herod. But he grows up and um, we, we don't hear much more about him until he's 12. And then in Luke 2, 41 through 52, the... Uh, he, he pops back in to Jerusalem. Now, what had happened was that uh, it was fairly normal for people that could to travel to Jerusalem during the Passover. The Passover um, uh, would have happened and um, immediately following was a feast. And so the event from beginning end lasted eight days or so. And it would have been normal for people to come for the eight day experience. 
uh, and to be a part. And they would have traveled from whatever town they were in. And the towns oftentimes would get together and travel together in big groups as caravans for safety. And so along the way, they've been watching each other's kids. Now, that would perhaps help to explain how they left Jesus behind. Of course, who hasn't been on a family vacation and left one of their kids behind? <laughs> I say that we, we always manage to hang on to our kids, but I know lots of people who have left a kid at a gas station or a wife or somebody they thought was sleeping in the back. Or It happens. Um, funny to look back on, not funny during, and, and certainly lots of therapy involved for those that were left behind. But nonetheless, we can move along. So um, when they realize... Uh, that he's not among the group. And, and that's, see, he, he would have been almost, at 12, um, almost considered an adult anyway, probably not under that careful scrutiny, and they just figured he was somewhere in the rest of the caravan, hanging out or helping with the other kids or something, and it just wasn't there. So it took him a while to miss the fact that Jesus wasn't there. When they realized, they rushed back. And, and I sort of get a kick out of that, and they're like, eh, we lost the Son of God. <laughs> I'm sure they were fighting. Anyway. I can imagine the argument that might have ensued. But they get back, and, and he's there, te- he's there uh, asking questions and answering questions and listening. And he's basically hanging out with the teachers of the law who would sit in the temple and just teach. And, and the, the, the rabbis, the well-known rabbis would be there, and their disciples would be around them. And a, and a, and a Jewish form of teaching was that they would ask questions and um, then get them answered and they would continue to ask questions in order to find out what was happening. Jesus was just engaged in that process um, because he was already very wise. He, and um, certainly Jesus had most likely figured out by this time what was happening in his life and the call on his life and, and what that looked like. Because he said, you know, why are you surprised? I've got to be my father's house. It's, you should, you should have this figured out. Now, know that, that the commandment to honor your father and mother, very important, that, that it doesn't come off like Jesus is some arrogant teenager, because Luke is very important to point out in verse 51 that he went with them and he was obedient. That, that word is in there. So that we don't take it as, oh, he's just another teenager who's off. He was just, you know, could sense the calling already and was embracing it the best he could. And then they leave and he goes. It's not his time yet. And... Um, He's, he goes and it says he continues to grow in favor and stature with man and God. And we, we pretty much uh, then won't see him until he's 30 when he pops back in to start his ministry. He has a, a life. You know, he's a carpenter. He, he does all those things in that process. But, uh, but his ministry starts actively when he's 30. And so that's where we'll pick up uh, next week in Luke chapter 3. We'll, we'll start seeing the events from there. So if you want to read ahead, you can. Uh, We get back talking about uh, John the Baptist next week and the start of his ministry, which is the start of Jesus' ministry. We've already seen John the Baptist introduced in the first chapter. Now we're watching them grow to get ready for God's calling on their lives. So that's all we're going to do on on this today. And so um, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And we're going to shut it down. If you're up in Williston, hi, everybody. Nice to have you uh, watching and pray for each other and take care of each other. But we're going to go ahead and do the prayer request here. So if you want, you can pass them up to me and I'll pray for you.